I was pleasantly surprised. My only disappointment with myself is that I didn't I didn't dream big and believe in myself and say that Burnley would get relegated. Ah, uh, yes. I didn't allow myself to believe. I think we actually had this discussion that you were like, if I pick them, it won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, happy new year and welcome to Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, uh, it's 2022 and, and we're we're making our return from the holiday break. Yes, we had a bit of an extended layoff. <laughs> happy <laughs> new year, by the way, to everyone listening and of course to you, Phil. Uh, how was your new year? Did you do anything? Get up to anything? No, Um not at all, really. <laughs> we, we, Did you uh, fall asleep before midnight? <laughs> no, I, I, I made it. Um, we, our household got hit by a little bit of like a stomach bug. Um, oh, like right on like the thirtieth, thirty first type like time frame. So it was, it was a little bit of a rough couple of days here. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but Dang. yeah, we. Uh, I was I was feeling okay by by you know the evening of the thirty first, but um, Erica not so much. So it was pretty pretty low key. We were just chilling. We we binged the new season of Queer Eye. Um, <laughs> that was how we spent our our New Year's Eve on the couch, and uh, yeah, that was about it. What about you? Did you? Uh, I, I well, I know that you got up to something because you were not in good enough shape for the footy the following day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't go out like partying or anything. I was just here at the house, but I mean, here at the house, I've got a lot of gin. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so yeah, uh, just had a couple drinks. Uh, one of my friends came over, we just like sat outside by the fire, nothing crazy. Um, I don't really like to go out actually on new year's cause I just like, just a lot of people out there making bad decisions as far as like <laughs> driving and you know under yeah. the influence and all that. So I'm like, eh, I'll just stay home. But no, yeah, the next morning, I wasn't even like necessarily hungover. I was just extremely tired. Yeah. Um, and I had set an alarm like, okay, I'll get up like three hours to watch Garcelle City. And I woke up at like nine and my phone was like across the room. <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> so I had to rewatch that one. But uh, yeah, no, we're, we out here. 2022. Yeah. Not were... going to say like, oh, it's going to be our year. I'm not saying any of that. Nah. like Because, you know, we're not trying to turn this bitch into a trilogy, but. <laughs> we're too grown up. We're too grown up now to to fall for yeah. that shit for a third time. <laughs> exactly. I, uh. Yeah, I <laughs> I am enjoying the image of you you like rebuking your phone um before you go go to sleep just <laughs> I don't know how it ended up where it did like truly. Um well, if uh if 2022 is the year that you are discovering hardcore football for the first time, um we uh, we have the podcast here, um, which you can find on on any of the major podcast platforms. And if the if the platform allows uh, for you to rate and review, um, we'd really appreciate it if you left a, a quality review for us. 
um, so more people can find us. Um, and aside from that, we've got the Twitter account at HXC football. Um, and that's where, that's where primarily Mika is, is running it. Um, and, uh, you got all kinds of news takes, all the, all those, all those sorts of things. Um, Mika, you've actually been doing numbers on an, uh, on an unexpected avenue of tweet, uh, (laughs) 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 in the replies to Omarion. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Omarion put out a video just clarifying that he is not a variant of COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> and I replied and I said, I don't know, like, you got songs like Touch, Distance, Icebox, sounds COVID-themed to me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm unsure about this. <laughs> and I didn't think anyone would see it, and it's got like 150 likes or something. (laughs) The replies were kind of blowing up, and I was appreciating that you you broke into like a whole new segment of Twitter with that one. Um, Yeah, that went out of our uh, our usual (laughs) our usual lane, (laughs) our usual sphere of influence. Um, Poor Omarion, man. I hope my name never is associated with a viral disease (laughs) (laughs) yeah the poor guy um but uh yeah uh so you can give us a follow over at hxc football and come across that sort of stuff we also talk about football i swear i swear um and uh yeah we've got a ton to talk about today coming back i mean no shortage of of incidents um, England providing most of the, most of the talking points, but we've got, uh, as well, we've got Ricardo Pepe's big transfer to FC Augsburg, um, and Lorenzo Insigne moving to MLS, um, all kinds of, all kinds of nonsense as silly season is fully <laughs> in swing, even though we're just a few days, uh, into the transfer window. Um, and then we've got, uh, listener questions kind of throughout. So we just kind of let you guys, um, guide us in this one. And, um, so we'll be discussing a handful of those things, but we're going to start off with something a little bit different. We're just going to revisit some of our predictions from the beginning of the season for the premier league, Mika, and kind of see how they've stood up now that we're just over halfway. Um, and taking a look at some of the predictions, we, we've, we've got some, right. We've got some not so, not so right. Um, or so far, so far. Yeah. yeah still, still a long way to go. A lot can yeah. change. Um, but how are you feeling about, about these predictions? Like now that we're, now that we're halfway through. Yeah, I think I would be mudded on a lot of mine, <laughs> like my less obvious ones. I think you, you definitely had better picks, but I mean, for me, I th- you you and I both picked Manchester City to win the title. Yeah. That looks like it may come to pass. I picked for relegation Norwich City, Brentford, and Brighton and Hope Albion. I think even at the time I thought some of those were harsh, but um, <laughs> I mean, you, you never know. I think Norwich is kind of a lock to go down, yeah. to be fair. But uh, we'll just have to see on that. Uh, and I picked <laughs> Romelu Lukaku for the Golden Boot, and that is clown makeup application <laughs> now well, like i don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> well we'll get on we'll get on to more of more of Romelu's uh uh stuff here i think so the city champion shout both of us i think you know it was one of those like uh reluctant 
admissions yeah. of they have the deepest squad. They have one of the best managers on earth. It's a combination that if something doesn't go catastrophically wrong, they should win the league basically every single year. Um, like another team has to be essentially perfect to beat them. And halfway through the season, the closest challengers, Chelsea and Liverpool have not had, they've been far from perfect. Um, and, uh, and so city city 10 points clear, uh, as it stands, I guess you could say technically Liverpool is the closer challenger because they have their 11 points behind, but have a game in hand. So, um, so they could maybe end up eight points behind if they win that. But, um, yeah, city city's looking like the lock. Is there any reason to think that city could like fumble the title from this position? 10 points clear with, with a, less than half the season to go. Yeah, it's hard to see that. I mean, we had that that question from Jake at Jake Konecki. Was the Chelsea-Liverpool draw the end of any real challenge to City's title run? Uh, I mean, like mathematically, of course not, but I think for the morale of the chasing pack, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because that is a, a, a big gap to make up over such a deep and well-coached team. So no, like I think I think there'd have to be catastrophe of an epic proportion for them to to not go on to to win the league now um i mean and and that's possible i mean we're still living through a pandemic right i mean we don't know day to day what can happen with that with you know shutting down i we we've seen teams across england shutting down their training facilities not being able to fulfill fixtures um so you know that could affect them um but in the immediate term, no, it just seems like they are a lock for the Premier League. And I, uh, on top of that, I don't think they're as affected by um, the Africa Cup of Nations as, say, Arsenal or Liverpool or, yeah. um, you know, any Chelsea even. Yeah. So um, that also helps. <laughs> right. Um, even if they did send a bunch of people off to a tournament, I mean, their B team could probably, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Finish top four, so yeah, that's just where where they are at, uh, up in, in Manchester on the blue side of Manchester. So yeah, I think I guess Mares is is the player that that they'll miss. Yes, through the, the Afcon, which I mean, no Algeria no small miss. Given he's had he's had a really good season, maybe his best mm-hmm. for for City um, up until this point, but um, but certainly with the with the depth they have behind him, it, I don't see them necessarily, yo, I don't see them going out throughout January and us being like, Oh wow. They're really missing Mara's here. Like I, it, I just, they just have so yeah. much, so much depth. It's, you know, well, I mean, I, they can bench Grealish and Foden for, you know, going out on the town and it not be a thing. Like it's yeah. just <laughs> silly. Yeah. So I think in their, in their recent matches, like they have looked human. So I do think like beyond, yo, I don't think there's any situation where this team is going to be whatever centurions or anything like that. I think like they're, mm. they're going to drop points. There's going to be like some hiccups along the way. They looked extremely, and we'll get on to the the match against Arsenal and talk a little bit about probably more so on the Arsenal side, but I think city looked extremely human in that game and extremely beatable Um, credit to Arsenal for making them look that way for sure. Um, But it, they did feel like, yo, I think 
there is a little element of kind of talking about this like invincibility around city. And I think we've just seen in various performances this year that they are vulnerable. They're not, they're not completely, um, you know, infallible, but yeah, it, it does look like it's, it's, I mean, it's certainly their title to lose and it does look like maybe the gap is just too big to make up, especially with the impacts to the chasing pack from AFCON, namely Liverpool with, yeah. with Salah and Mane, both, both headed off to the tournament. Um, so um, yeah, I think, I think they're probably in good shape. Speaking of the relegation candidates though, I mean, nor I, I said Norwich Watford and Newcastle and Norwich and Newcastle are, are looking like good candidates. Although January could really shift things for Newcastle, depending on how they deal with this window. I mean, there could be, I'm not saying it's, it takes time to, to, blood in new players for sure. But could they climb out of the, you know, I guess out of the bottom where they're at now, they're only two points from safety. So, I mean, do you think we could see enough of an improvement from Newcastle just based on the purchases they make in January now that they've got all this, this spare cash? Yeah, I mean, that that is the big question is what is Newcastle United going to do this January now that they have, you know, huge pockets? Um, I guess it's about getting in the right players and the right players that, that Eddie Howe can, can use and get the most out of. Um, the squad, as it is right now, is pretty thin on quality, I have to say. I think um, even some of the recent purchases, like Joe Willock, I mean, he's completely stopped scoring goals. Yeah. Um, Sam Maximin has had a little bit of injury issues here and there, so that that sometimes can be a, an issue for them. Um, I think Kieran Trippier got over the line. I'm sure we'll get onto that when we talk about the transfer window. But I mean, they're they're linked with a whole host of people. Um, I think Aaron Ramsey was a shout, um, which is fascinating for many reasons. Um, and I think they brought in Munoz already from from um, Liga MX. And uh, so yeah, so they're they're already they have a lot of their plans already going as far as the tra- as far as the transfer window. Um, and also, I want to say because you had another shout in here for your relegation, you you picked Watford, and it seems like Watford is kind of going backwards right now as yeah. in terms of possibly Claudio Ranieri not making it <laughs> past this month as their manager. Yeah. Um, some turmoil between the club and its players and not releasing certain players to AFCON, like Emmanuel Dennis and um, who's the winger? Sar, I think, Ismail Sar. Yeah, Ismail they, Sar. They, they might not let him go play, which I, I don't know what's going on there. I know with Dennis there was some... Um, like administrative discrepancy. And they said that Nigeria hadn't called him up in time, which I mean, that may be the case, but I just wonder, is that discrepancy worth like annoying, upsetting one of your best players? I don't know. So with that going on at Watford, I think maybe Newcastle can take advantage of some of that and see if Watford will drop points um, and, and, and try to seize on that. Burnley do have a game in hand though. So, and and you never know with Burnley. I mean, (laughs) Right. They seem to always uh stay up somehow. Um so we'll have to see. But they are Burnley are also losing a really good player to AFCON in, in Maxwell Cornet. So their best player. 
their best player. Yeah. At the mo- so, at, on, on form anyways, like they're yeah, yeah. Burnley's best player. And I, I don't know that he's their top scorer. I would have to look that up, but I feel like he's their top scorer, even though he joined like yeah later. Yeah. It's which the fact that Burnley is sending someone to AFCON is incredible, but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's, it's, it's quite interesting at, at the bottom. I have to say. Yeah. Sar. So Sar's situation, he was released and this just came out a few hours ago that he was finally okay. released to Senegal for, for their uh, AFCON trip, but it was primarily around the fact that he's been out with a knee injury since November and ah. Basically, Watford was trying to not release him so so as not to potentially like aggravate the injury, I guess. Um, and they invited Senegalese, like the Senegalese national team phys- physio staff, to examine his knee, like prior to releasing him. Um, wow. Yeah. So they really okay. made they made hard work of the the whole situation. The Emmanuel Dennis situation yeah it was some sort of like clerical error on the part of nigeria i guess that watford were more than happy to claim and keep the player so so, yeah Yeah. really strange one it does look like watford are headed the wrong direction i really hope that they don't go down if if it means burnley survives but because it also means that maxwell cornet will be available I highly doubt right. he stays like right. He's too good for the championship. Yeah. Like, so sure. I think yeah. he gets poached either by a newly promoted team. He, you know, he gets picked off or, or by an established premier league team. But, um, I could see Brighton maybe. Ooh, I think he'd be That's an interesting one. But if they're after Briel and Bolo, that's, then that's a, who knows? Right. Thing maybe. Um, and then my last, my last shot, which I'm feeling extremely good about, despite the fact that he's headed to the Africa, Africa cup of nations is Mo Salah winning the golden boot. Um, 16 goals. He's six clear of Diogo Jota. Who's got 10, um, in second. And then Jamie Vardy is nine in, in third. So they have a month to try to, grab six and seven goals a piece um, and, and try to catch up. Um, but I, I think most Alec returns from AFCON still is the leading scorer in the premier league. If I had to, if I had to guess. Yeah. I think that that was a very astute shout. I think that will probably be the case at the end of the seasons. He's going to get another golden boot. And what's really impressive too about it is that he's not like vastly overperforming XG. He's scoring at about the rate that, you'd expect right um over overperforming a little bit in the creative aspect he has like three more assists than he should but i mean that's great that he's <laughs> he's doing that as well yeah um i didn't realize yoga jota had, had reached double figures too my goodness what a signing yeah that's actually uh his highest total in a premier league season um mm-hmm. halfway through it's i mean it's wild to be having this conversation and also be talking about a Liverpool team that is, you know, chasing because <laughs> yeah. you would think with, with this amount of scoring, you would think the, the team that won the title with so many, you know, two nils and one nils, um, you'd think that with this volume of scoring, they'd be more so in the title conversation, but it is, uh, 
looking like they're going to be held at arm's length by by City do more so to, you know, the other issues in the squad, not not related to goal scoring. Um, right. So you picked Romelu Lukaku as as winning the golden boot. And I think given the season that he had at Inter last season and the form that he was coming into Chelsea in, not a crazy shout. Like it feels like it's lost its luster over over the the intervening months, but it really was I think a lot of people felt that Lukaku was gonna come in and kind of take the Premier League by storm because of he was he was flying in in Serie A and he was he was being brought in a focal point. They spent nearly a hundred million pounds to bring him in. Um and that has led now to the row, as they say, um, <laughs> Lukaku doing a interview with Sky Italia in which he was critical of Thomas Tuchel's tactics, critical of like his handling, talked about returning to Inter, a lot of a lot of quotes in there, and a lot of things that originally it kind of felt like, ah, this is probably taken out of context, probably blown out of proportion. But then when the full interview was actually published and the translations were all kind of verified and all of those things, it actually started to feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact that he came out on social media today on Chelsea social media and apologized just tells me everything is like, okay, you, you did do wrong, I guess, yeah. by the club and by the fans. Um, yeah, I mean, my shout for Golden Boot, and you know, I'm not going to quote myself here because I can barely remember yesterday, and nevertheless, what we said, you know, back in August. But I think my thinking on this one was that Chelsea had learned by watching Romelu Lukaku at Manchester United how not to use him, yeah. how to use him, and how not to use him. Because I think the reason why he struggled at Manchester United is they just tried to treat him like a, a target man, and he's so much more than that. Yeah. Um, and I think Antonio Conte understood that, and I thought you know Thomas Tuchel would understand that too. But um, there's been times this season where they they are kind of trying to use him the way that he was used at United, and I just don't think that that's the best way to deploy uh, Big Rom. In fact, the last goal I think that he scored uh, that I saw it was him bodying somebody out of the way and, and, and running through on goal, and that's what you want from him. Um, but this Chelsea team in general, they just struggle to... They make a meal out of scoring goals, and... Um, yeah. And and now with this interview, that's really helpful, and, and with Thomas Tuchel being under a little bit of pressure because of the the uh, recent run of form where, you know, they've kind of stumbled a little bit. Um, it's just not helpful to anyone. And I don't even think Inter fans are that like, you know, not that they're a monolith or anything, but the Inter fans that I know are kind of just like annoyed by the whole thing. Um, and, you know, they've moved on brilliantly from him to be fair. I mean, they brought in Ed and Jekko for almost nothing and he's doing a lot of the same things. Um, they don't really miss Hikimi either. I mean, they're, they're just, they're flying um, and look like they could possibly retain Sadia. Meanwhile, you know, Big Rom's having to come out on Chelsea's Twitter and apologize. And it's just like, <laughs> now everyone's mad at you. Yeah. Um, but uh, with all of that being said, when Chelsea are in turmoil, they tend to win things. So yeah. I wouldn't be laughing too much about this because they seem to thrive on the chaos. Um, I think the only 
I mean, not the only, but one of the big negatives that might come out of this if it continues is, as we know, the the people that often pay the price at Chelsea are the managers. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying Thomas Tuchel should be sacked or will be, but um, you know, if this drama continues to to kind of fester, then it might be him who who they see fit to change. Um, yeah. But you know. I, I think that's hardly necessary right now. I think Thomas Tuchel is a, is a very good manager, and it's just been a, a, a bumpy spot. And you know, he 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 couldn't control Romelu Lukaku giving that interview. Um, yeah. I don't even think his agent knew about it. If I you know what I was reading was correct, which is <laughs> insane. So yeah. Um, no, I think I think Tuchel's actually done himself quite a big favor through this. Um, because I think a lot of people were seeing through, okay, there's more to this. There's like, there's obviously a lot going on behind the scenes, but the fact that took a really like towed the line at no point did he really throw Lukaku under the bus, but he also like was very strong and just like, he didn't, I think, you know, I think, and it, maybe it's to be expected because took certainly come from an environment that was loaded with personalities at PSG. Um, yeah. And so handling a big, you know, a big personality, big money signing, all of those things, like he's certainly no stranger to it, but at the same time, like this could have gone a lot worse, I think. Um, And the fact that it was relatively under control, the only real point of contention was the choice to drop him against Liverpool, which there is like some arguments to be made and there are obviously people who, and a lot of people, mainly Tim Howard on, on NBC, who is, who is clearly still like friends with Lukaku from his time at Everton and was like (laughs) texting him about it, uh, during the TV coverage or whatever. Um, and commenting on the fact that he was texting about it. It was very strange. I didn't know they were that close, but okay. Yeah, apparently. Um, but they were saying that, oh, well, Chelsea like win this game if Lukaku is in the side. And let's cast our minds back to Anfield earlier this season. Lukaku was invisible for 90 minutes. He didn't do anything. He was completely yeah. pocketed by by Virgil van Dijk. And van Dijk and, and Konate, who played in this game at Stamford Bridge, have, I think, better luck against big strikers who try to body them, try to like play physically I think they match up well against those I think it's tougher when there's forwards who are you know interchanging and moving making those like inside out runs and coming inside the fullbacks and all those sorts of things like there's all these sorts of different things that that can disrupt Liverpool's back line and if you're going to play Lukaku up front against and they're just going to stick a center back on him and he's you know that's going to be their job for 90 minutes is make sure he doesn't receive the ball and, and turn, you know? Um, and, uh, so anyways, all that being said, I think, I think Tuchel handled this like quite well. Um, and the only real story was, Oh, he like, he did, he doesn't play against Liverpool. And now he's the one like left holding all of it. Really. There's no real backlash like on the club or anything like that. And Tuchel's, come out of it like pretty clean I think um and really now I guess the question is like does Lukaku respond with 
goals like or does the distance like become greater it seems like he's the type of guy who would relish a challenge and really like dig in um and maybe maybe his conversation like has the red effect with Tuchel where he thinks like where Tuchel maybe has an earnest conversation with him about how he's being utilized and who he's being partnered with and all those things and um and maybe it spurs some positive change at Chelsea. I guess that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, Lukaku's clamoring for, you know, Juve's offer to be accepted or whatever a year from now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, very well said. I think, I think you're right. I think Tuchel did handle it about as best as he could. And I think he had to drop him. A hundred percent. You have to, because that was way too much of a distraction. Yeah. Right before, you know, maybe the biggest game of the season. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was funny that the, the apology video came across my timeline today because I started already to forget about it. And it's like, oh, let's just like rip that right open again. I, I don't know. I don't know how necessary <laughs> that was, but there are people who get paid tons of money to make these PR decisions. So there you go. Um I think maybe I was a fool to pick a Chelsea striker to win the golden boot. Cause we know how Chelsea strikers can be. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Fernando Torres vibes. Um, no, the, Ch- uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Oh God. I honestly, I forgot about the Morata era at Chelsea. Um, I think a lot of people want to. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So Lukaku, Back with the team, he's made the public apology. He has also now been fined by the club, oh, um, which was um, that was that came out after the apology, which feels like another one of those things that I'm not really sure why. Like the public apology, fine. It seems like a bit much. I don't know. Like, um, yeah. not to say that it, you know. I guess he made a public interview, so maybe that's why they wanted to. To me, I just picture the whole thing going down like very Russian, Russian mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I was watching that, and like in the beginning, he's smiling, and then he gets like really serious. And I'm like, Rom, like blink twice if you're in danger. What is this? There's a there's a dude in a tracksuit holding a cue card. <laughs> cigarette hanging out of his mouth <laughs> just good god <laughs> uh so um so yeah lukaku lukaku's back um looks like he's you know back in the good graces with with tuckle and company now that he's gone through this uh, you know public humiliation um and uh and yeah we'll see what the response is because i think i think he had some points um in talking about utilization. And one of the key things he talked about was what he enjoyed so much about playing at Inter was his partnership with Lautaro Martinez. Um, Mm. And because of injury, combination of injury problems and to uh, Timo Werner, he's been out for an extended period of time. The regression of Kai Havertz, ever since the champions league goal, he's, he's kind of fallen off. Um, and, uh, yeah, not finding that like suitable person to play in partnership with, with Lukaku, I think is, 
going to be kind of the sticking point because I think they, I think everybody thought Werner could be that guy. Um, mm. And he just hasn't been available this season as much because he's, he's had these kind of like nagging injuries. And then obviously there's a lot of question marks around Werner in general at Chelsea. So, um, so yeah, just a, re- a weird situation ballooned totally out of, out of control. Um, and now it looks like they'll be, they'll be back to the football. So, um, we talked, we talked about the, the Chelsea Liverpool draw and, and it's lack of impact on the title race. Um, I guess it's worth mentioning the game itself just in, in terms of <laughs> the, I mean, the goals, um, some, some really good ones uh, and maybe one of the goals of the season scored in this game um, by, by Kovacic. Um, But um, this, this game was like highlighted as a spectacle, but ultimately, you know, I, I said on Twitter, like, I, I hate that a game being played by my favorite team is enjoyed by the neutrals because, um, it means that I'm not enjoying it at all. (laughs) Um, but was, was this the, like, um, the classic that, that it was billed as and did it live up to, to what people were looking for? Yeah, I think it had a, uh, something for everyone, <laughs> something for the whole family to enjoy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, as, as a neutral, it was a good watch. Um, I'm always skeptical of these like top six clashes because you never know if they're going to be just like super drab because neither team wants to to lose. Um, but I think we saw two teams that both really wanted to win. Um, I think the first 20 minutes Liverpool were under significant pressure and then they kind of regained control and then from there hit two goals pretty quickly. I mean, they did hit, you know, uh, Mane got his goal after maybe arguably not needing to be on the pitch anymore. But uh, fantastic, like um, just, you know, near post, excellent, completely sits Marcos Alonso down. The the pass from Trent was really good. Kovacic, like you said, responds with a a great goal as well, um, volleying uh, into the top corner as he's like, he's like walking back from the goal. Like he's not really like set for the, for the goal. So yeah, I mean, there was just everything in this game. Um, a draw doesn't really suit anyone, I feel like. Yeah. Um, except Manchester City, of course. But uh, yeah, like like we had answered for for Jake earlier, I think that you know the chasing pack kind of is will be damaged by that. Um, you know, both these teams, Chelsea and Liverpool, really could have done with all three points. Yeah. Um, but it was great to watch. Yeah, uh, Edward Mendy. Um had the audacity to save an audacious solid chip from about like 40 yards yeah. <laughs> that I, I yeah. was really hoping would, would prove to be the winner, but, um, but he, he made a good save and yeah, it, it was, it was one of those games where I think throughout, you know, Chelsea had the majority of possession. It was clear that Liverpool were okay with Chelsea having the ball. Um, but they were still playing that extremely high line and it was leading to some moments of, of danger, but Chelsea, Chelsea didn't create anything extremely dangerous, I guess, aside from the, the deflection from Trent that fell to Pulisic and, and Cuevin Kelleher, who was in for Allison makes actually a really good intervention yeah. to keep 
to keep Pulisic from taking the shot. But, um, but once Liverpool were up to nothing, I think Liverpool fans who have gotten more accustomed to the less exciting version of Liverpool um, that has developed like under Klopp, where they are able to shut games like that down once they have the lead. Um, they didn't have the midfield uh, with Milner, Henderson and Fabinho. They did not have the midfield to assert any actual control over the game. So it stayed extremely chaotic. Um, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Yep. And it's ultimately like a really silly and kind of soft Milner foul that leads to the free kick, which is like initially cleared for Kovacic to bang in. And obviously you can't like, you know, you can't prepare for a banger like a, a once in a, you know, once in a blue moon banger from Kovacic like that. But like the free kick in and of like the initial free kick was silly and shouldn't have been given away in the first place. So it's like those sorts of moments that just like let a team back in. And once that banger goes in, then they get another goal before halftime. And that's just the sort of thing that you just really can't let happen. If you're going to win the title, like yeah, if you, if you're leading two nil with, you know, five minutes of regular time to play in the half, you need to go into the half at two nil. Like that's just what sure. a professional, like, title winning champion, you know, that's what champions do. And if they make it to the half at two nil, then it's a totally, you know, I think the second half being boring is exactly what Liverpool would have looked for. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they unfortunately were too chaotic, like too reminiscent of old versions of Liverpool. And that's, and that's ultimately why they, uh, they won't claim the title this year because they've drawn way too many games. Um, and uh, from these sorts of like winning positions. So um, yeah, just unfortunately not good enough from, from the reds, but um, yeah, a couple of good goals, some decent like talking points, but now uh, the big, the big boys are off to AFCON. So it'll be the time of, <laughs> of Divakarigi and Takumi Minamino to come in and, and deputize and um, <laughs> oh, goodness. Roberto Firmino's back from injury too. So that, that could probably be, be something but anyways uh enough about liverpool jake also mentioned how about them seagulls and uh this past weekend they did they did get a big win at goodison park three two alexis McAllister with a couple of really good goals and the second one in particular just an absolute screamer um and uh brighton kind of getting the they made it interesting Everton, um, but Brighton were like extremely good value for this win at Goodison and, uh, and, and Brighton now sitting, sitting pretty in the premier league as well. Um, they're in ninth and, uh, just a point back from wolves and only four points back of Manchester United. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously I had picked them possibly to be relegated only because I was dubious of their transfer dealings, but when you've got Graham Potter at the helm, I think you've always got um, a chance and ambition. So um, it's mad to see where they are on the table and to know that they had booed that man <laughs> at <laughs> one point at the MX. Um, but I think this is superb from Brighton, really. Um, and, you know, if they can strengthen 
um, and attract, you know, bigger talents to the club with these upper mid table finishes and all the better. Um, but yeah, uh, on the other side of that though, Everton, man, they're just absolutely shocking lately. Yeah. Uh, and they're well in the relegation fight, arguably. So, um, we'll have to see for that, for the blue side of a Liverpool. Yeah. Everton with one win in five. Um, and uh, I think the record is worse than that, but I don't have the form standings back that far. Um, yeah. yeah, Everton are in an extremely bad way. And uh, they've, I mean, they've gotten to the point where they're basically like playing the kids. They've, they've been hit with some, some pretty significant injuries too. And, but even the players who are returning from those injuries and, and COVID and, and whatnot, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin misses a penalty in this one. Um, and was just like generally anonymous and, and coming off of, you know, the last couple of seasons, him building a a reputation as like the successor to Harry Kane, like as England's number nine. Um, (laughs) and and now he's kind of just gone missing. So it's a, it's a curious, curious thing up there on Merseyside, especially with some restructuring going on at the club. And yeah, it's a, it's a vulnerable time for the blues and, and Brighton Brighton hit them for the three points. Um, and speaking of clubs going through transition United w- with their new boss, Ralph Rangnick uh, undone at home by wolves in this one. And a lot of, and this is just anecdotal, you know, I don't know the, the media data here, but I've just seen a lot of criticism for Rangnick come in really quickly. And I mean, the tone shifts from United pundits is, is like United uh, linked pundits, I should say, former players, uh, you know, what have you. The tone shift was, was quite noticeable really early on um, in Rangnick's tenure. Cause it's been what four games. Yeah. It's been like a handful. <laughs> and this is his first loss if i'm not mistaken right i think yeah i think his first loss um he yeah they they had won three out of the last four going into this one um yeah so yeah yeah i think people are in my opinion people are getting a little bit carried away um obviously i know it's a results-based business Uh, that's uh, that's obvious but when you bring in a guy like ralph rangnick especially on a six-month deal with a yeah. with an aim to him being uh, you know a consultant going forward that should signal to you that this is about imposing a style and a structure um i think if the remit was results that would be really odd to get him in for six months not to say that it's not nothing obviously you have to win obviously but yeah. i think the the plan and the vision is bigger than that that said it is a little bit shocking to me that this is you know, one of the, you know, supreme purveyors of Gagan pressing in Europe and this team doesn't press. So I don't know what that means. Like, are the players like downing tools? Like, cause I, I just don't understand that. Um, and I, I can't see him not being clear about what he wants, uh, as far as, as the pressing is concerned, he's imposed this four two 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 on them, um, the jury's still out on whether this will ever work. I think, <laughs> I think it doesn't matter how you slice and dice the positioning of, of this team. It's still an imbalanced squad, which that predates Rangnick. So yeah, I think that the, 
I think the reactions have been a little bit harsh. I'm seeing a lot of like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer prop, which is yeah. crazy. <laughs> like, and 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 I understand some of it because I think with Solskjaer there were times where that whole vibe of like express yourself would work, yeah. and they would be teams and get big results. And you know, I think the matchups with PSG in the Champions League, for example. Um, I mean, United were capable of special things when. Social just you know allowed them to play, but again, Rangna has been brought in for something very specific, and yeah. I think it's going to take time for that vision to be realized. Um, but credit to Wolves, big credit to Wolves. I think this is their first yeah. time winning at Old Trafford in like decades and decades. I think it's um, their first win at Old Trafford ever, if I'm not ever. mistaken. Okay, good lord. I mean, oh sorry, no, no, no. Okay, I think uh, 1980. Win there? 1980. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So like 40 years ago. Yep. My God. But I mean, yeah. And I, I, I really enjoy this wolf side under Bruno Lage. It just needs a little bit more goals, but that's yeah. okay. You can definitely see the, um, the style that he's imposed is really different from Nuno. Um, and it's really exciting. It's really exciting to watch. Yeah. And they were ripping United apart, like, in the wide areas so easily yeah. um, that it was kind of like, how can Rangnick not see that this needs adjusting? I don't know. But um, they end up and, – and to be fair, United did have chances, but Wolves ended up taking theirs with uh, the elder statesman, Joel Moutinho. So yeah, uh, really famous win for them, and they were full value for it, I think. It was the first – I. I... And I should know better. It was the first Premier League era win for Wolves at Old Trafford. Um, oh, okay. Gotcha. Which is why they said first ever. Because I was like, I could have swore. And silly me, football wasn't invented in 1992 by Sky Sports. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so no, I, I loved, like, I love this Wolves performance, obviously, with it coming against United at Old Trafford. I have a soft spot for that. But we got such a cool insight even in a small sound, like in the small post-match soundbite from, from Bruno Lodge, we got an awesome insight into how he like picked apart exactly how to attack this United side. And it worked exactly as he, as he had planned it basically. And he said, our preparation was good and all the, all these things. Um, so seeing that, I think Wolves fans should take a lot of heart in the fact that they have a manager who's clearly like extremely tactically sound, like knows, um, knows how he wants the team to play, can analyze opposition, figure out their weaknesses and exploit them. Um, I think the only, literally the only shortcoming in this Wolves team and, and it's a combination of different factors, but I think, I think with a couple of signings, this Wolves team is, is, like competing in Europe with, with Lodge. Like I'm not, I know it sounds like maybe hyperbolic or whatever, but I do think like they're in a position in the table. They're right behind United at the moment. And, and there's been no, no one's gotten an easy game against wolves. Every single team that's played wolves has had an absolute scrap. Liverpool had a scrap United lost at home. Uh, city it was a it was a fight like all of these teams are getting are getting or up until the point where where Jimenez was sent off and even then it ended what one nil so yeah like this Wolves team is extremely difficult to beat if they add any sort of like additional goal scoring threat or you know they add like 
10, 15 goals a season, they're, they're right in that conversation um, for, you know, Europa league places. I'm not saying they're going to challenge for titles necessarily, but they're, they're in a really good spot. And they've, I think any question marks about Lodge being the right guy should start to, to quiet pretty, pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Well, and, and they're kind of like the Brighton of this season in that they are pretty significantly underperforming XG. Yeah. Um, you know, some metrics point, put them at have, you know, should he should have been scoring about 20 by now and they only have four, 14, is it? Yeah. 14. Yeah. So, um, on that same note, though, they are also overperforming their goals against. So that yeah. may come home to roost as well. So it's <laughs> True. something to keep an eye on. True. Credit to Jose Sa. Yeah, he's Jose Sa. He's yeah. been unbelievable. Absolutely. He, um, had to, he had to make, he had to work to the very last whistle. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's had an unbelievable season revelation with after Rui Patricio moved to, to Roma. Um, it was, you know, question yeah. marks at, at goalkeeper, but answered answered pretty handily so far by <laughs> by Jose Sa. Well, yeah, we'll see how he continues to do the rest of the season. But yeah, I think I think Wolves can be really happy with where they're at. And we also saw in that in that same soundbite as I as I put on Twitter that Bruno Lage is there's they're from the same country. They're from they're somehow produced in the same system, but he is somehow the exact foil and the exact opposite to Jose Mourinho. <laughs> he said, I'm a positive person. Imagine <laughs> sent me, <laughs> which I love. Like, you know, the, the, the question asked was like something along the lines of, did you ever think that the goal wasn't going to come? And he's like, no, I, I'm a positive person. Like I always think we've got a chance to the end. So yeah, yeah, totally, totally different from uh, Jose, but um yeah he's a he's a fabulous manager yeah ex- exciting addition to the league as well um having having come um you know from relative <laughs> relative obscurity i should say in terms of english english fans um right yeah knowing knowing who bruno is so um united fans learned the hard way unfortunately this past weekend and yeah the rangnick stuff just a little bit a little bit strange. A lot of, as Tuchel said, the the noise was getting a bit loud around the Lukaku stuff. Like the noise around Rangnick is is increasing, and it feels like it feels like there's no one um, with articles in the Athletic about um, players becoming disillusioned, not being impressed by the quality of his training or the quality of his staff. A um, lot of just a lot of like odd sort of little tidbits that are coming out of the United camp right now that was pretty like lock tight when, when Solskjaer was there, these sorts of things were not kind of creeping into the media. So it's interesting to see that dynamic also start to change um, around United as they, as they sort of fumble their way through this early, this early stage of the, of the ring, Nick, tenure or whatever you want to call it. Not even era. Cause he's only around for six months. So <laughs> yeah, I really can't call it an era. Yep. We'll just have to see. Well, a manager who has gotten some time, um, 
and gone through, ridden the waves uh, of <laughs> of the ups and downs of the Premier League, Mikel Arteta uh, got a lot of credit, um, and his team got a lot of credit in ultimately a losing uh, scenario against Manchester City, but two uh, one a late Rodri winner, um, getting all three points for City with Arsenal down to ten. Um, a little bit of refereeing controversy in this game, uh, as there was in basically every single Premier League game of the whole weekend, it felt like. Um, Unfortunately, yeah. The, uh, lots, lots of controversy here. The red card obviously change, changed um, proceedings, but Arsenal in the first half came away. I, mean, I think everybody watching the game was talking about how it could be it could be more than one nil. It could be like, this is maybe the best half of football that Arsenal have played under Arteta period. Um, and Mikel not on the sidelines to witness it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately he's got COVID <laughs> for the second time. My God, he's the, you know, cast your minds back two years ago, almost two years ago, the, the league shut down with him testing positive that first time. So, yeah. um, yeah, it, I mean, this Arsenal team is fun. They're fun again. Um, and this City performance, while, you know, in a losing effort and we can't really celebrate a loss, I do think if you're going to lose, this is the way. Um, you know, rather than being battered the way that we did in the in the um, away fixture, um, we really took it to them. Uh, and I felt like we deserved more out of the game. I think some of the refereeing controversy, um, I, yeah, I mean, some of the decisions I did think were wrong, um, or, or harsh at the very least. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first goal, you know, Saka's goal is absolutely brilliant. It's just brilliant team play, something that is, it's a pattern of play that, that, um, we have seen kind of developing over the, the, the past couple games, and it seems like the attack is finally starting to hum into life. Odegaard's finally getting settled. Um, so, you know, Saka, I think he's got like four straight games with, with goals now. I mean, like he's scored a lot last year as well, but, um, you know, just really, really coming into his own. Um, yeah, just, just everything about this team is really exciting. Uh, uh, Gabriel Martinelli, he's got a starting place now after not playing, and people saying, like, oh, Arteta must hate him and all this and that. And it's like, no, he's just being very carefully managed. So yeah. I think there's a lot of things to give Mikel Arteta credit for um, in the way that we set up and the way that we attacked and tried to impose ourselves because we were at home, you know? Like, let's not let's take the game to them and make them work. And we did make them work. Um, you know, eventually they did get the winner. And that just seems like one of those things that like a team like city do is like, all right, now let's win now. And they just decide that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a, you know, they're, they're obviously uh, much further along in, in their development and, you know, in what they're playing for than, than this young arsenal side. So, yeah, I'm a little disappointed that we couldn't get something out of it. I definitely think we deserve something. If you know, I would have definitely taken a draw, although I felt like we could have won. Um, but um, it's just one of those things that we need to, you know. I think we can learn a lot from it. I think, and I think this this team is capable of that. We've seen them bounce back from disappointment at United at, at Everton and and go on these little winning runs. So, um, yeah, I'm not too 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 upset about it. Um, with some time having passed, so. 
Um, but we too are also going to be missing players for AFCON in, in Thomas Partey, who had like his best game in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> and then now he's going to go play for Ghana. Um, and, and Mohamed Elneny as well, joining up with Salah and Egypt. So yeah. um, January is pretty crucial for us as well as um, a lot of other teams in, in getting midfield depth at the very least. I'm, a, I'm expecting that we'll at least like loan somebody, but yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they supplement and uh, and what I mean. There'll probably be quite a bit of movement, especially with with Afcon and and I think of teams primarily if they're impacted at like center back and stuff like that. Then those are the teams that go out and find like those emergency sort of like reinforcements. <laughs> um, yeah, I this was this was a tough one. Like watching as a neutral, I think like the the key for me and it, and it really hit home just because of obviously the proximity to um, Liverpool's game against Spurs and where you have like an incident punished for one team and not punished for the other. And the aggregate like outcome of that is actually doubled. Like, like it, 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 it multiplies the impact of the decisions, if that makes sense. Um, like take for example in the Liverpool Chelsea game, if Mane is not sent off for the elbow, and then Mason Mount is sent off for like just fucking punching Samikas, um, <laughs> then it feels like for Chelsea. Then it would feel like for Chelsea fans, well, they've actually like Liverpool have gotten away with one, and we've been punished, which means like it's double. It's like almost you know double the punishment. Um, and similarly in Liverpool Spurs, Kane. Kane wasn't sent off. Rob Robertson was. And in this one, a penalty claim, um, which, you know, looked as if like there was merit in it for Martin Odegaard is not, is, is not punished. Ederson gets away with his second, like big should have been a penalty, like, uh, intervention in like three weeks. Um, cause Newcastle, he had a shocker that was also wasn't also wasn't. Um, and then a really, really soft penalty that wasn't given in real time is given by VAR like against Arsenal, which again, like the, the vibe of the whole thing is like, where's the, like if Ederson sliding out and catching Odegaard is not a penalty, then Xhaka like having some minimal contact with with Bernardo Silva and having a shirt pull kind of like revealed by the fact that Silva has gone over extremely easily to try to buy a penalty. <laughs> There's just a lot of layers of why are we getting forensic about certain things and not others? And that's ultimately like what it what this whole like conversation comes down to. So um right. So yeah, I like the frustration grows like even as a neutral and obviously I wanted Arsenal to win this game to give Liverpool, you know, this was ahead of Liverpool Chelsea and gives Liverpool a kind of a road back into the title discussion. But, um, but at the same time, like there's just watching as, you know, ostensibly a neutral, there's just, there's no way to decipher what is and isn't a penalty or a handball or a red card. Like, all of these things are so hard to discern. I've seen the guidelines. I've read the guidelines from the PGMOL. I've seen what the rules say. And 
none of the decisions like follow any of those things. They are all just arbitrary. It feels like, so it just gets extremely frustrating to watch. And it's why we end up talking about referees all the time. Cause there's no real, like you can't make heads or tails of like why these decisions are being made or why VAR is intervening in some cases and not in others. Um, but ultimately right. in this one, like, the penalty for city has such a major impact on the game, especially as it then precipitates the red card as well. Like the sending off or, you know, the sending off is born out of that penalty decision because it's Gabriel questioning the referee about the original, (laughs) about the Odegaard penalty non-decision that leads to his first yellow. And obviously Gabriel makes not a great decision in the aftermath of that by the challenge that he makes for the second. And he should, he should know better um, being on a yellow and he shouldn't make that decision. But the first yellow would never have happened without the whole penalty incident in, in and of itself. So in, in effect, like because of that city have gotten a, a penalty kick, which they scored to equalize and, Arsenal have had a, have had a man sent off like all kind of born out of the same incident. Right. But you know, even with all of that said, the it feels like the collective opinion is still that Arsenal should have got something out of this. So I think that says a lot about our performance that yeah. even with a red card and like all of this like madness and the penalty like the fact that the collective like takeaway is we should have got something out of it I think is really uh, promising, I guess you could say. Yeah. My last, my last question for you on Arsenal before we, before we move on is, um, Saka scores in this one and he's taken to doing the like hands to the side, like pres- presentation, uh, Roberto Firmino slash Sadio Mane celebration. Is that a tribute or is that like his own, Version. I, you know, I never really thought about it, but yeah, you're right. That is the Firmino. That's who I think of when, yeah. when that celebration is done. That's funny. I don't know. Maybe because Firmino <laughs> did it, and then Mane started copying him um, as he is wont to do. Um, <laughs> Mane's been the copycat in the celebration copy from now on. So I is Sokka the copier of the copy? Like, is he? <laughs> <laughs> he's now because if it's a tribute it, i mean it's pretty cool and if it if it's just simply because it's whatever he saw it you know it's on fifa or whatever and that's why he does it i don't know like maybe, <laughs> maybe so. um the last the last uh big item in the premier league um antonio conte's start at spurs um continues to be pretty auspicious um unbeaten in the league and they squeaked one out um, this past weekend. It was a late winner from Davinson Sanchez against Watford. Um, I mean, they absolutely battered them, like statistically. Uh, Tottenham, you know, yeah. des- deserved to win on paper. Um, but I think, like, coming out of this one, I think there's still some of the question marks around this Tottenham squad, uh, like prior to Conte's arrival um, in terms of like, why are they finding? Cause goals are still seeming like tough to come by, especially against teams that are willing to give them the ball and kind of sit deep and just defend. Um, 
However, Conte has gotten the results for the most part. They've won three out of five. They're, you know, they're unbeaten since he got there. And um, so do you think this is these signs are good enough for what Antonio Conte like aspires to at Spurs? Or do you think this is just like the preamble to him kind of leading a, a big overhaul? Yeah, no, I think I think this definitely is good uh, for Tottenham Hotspur, and and I think this is part of Conte's process um, is is first making a team hard to beat, and then, you know the kind of attacking development comes from there, and of course there will need to be investment. Um, I think you saw more goals scored initially with better teams that he's that he's coached, a la Chelsea and Inter and stuff like that. But this is Tottenham, and, you know, we're talking about a different squad makeup um, about a, a striker who was want away and is finally starting to purr into life just a little bit in Harry Kane. Um, and, and, you know, for all, for all of that, they are underperforming their XG quite a bit. So they, they arguably deserve more from some of the, the efforts that they've had. And like you said, their only loss in all competitions was against Mura in the Europa yeah. conference <laughs> league. So, which I almost think was on purpose. Like, I don't know that Conte's, too bothered about the Europa Conference League. So no. um, I think this is really promising for Spurs. And, and, and Antonio Conte is a world-class manager, and I think you just have to um, give that give that some time and, and some investment. I mean, let's be clear, that that does still need to be um, a priority for Daniel Levy and company. Um, and, you know, because Conte will definitely walk if it's not. Um, but yeah, that, that remains to be seen, obviously. Well, uh, Mika, I think we'll take a quick break. We've got a, a bunch more news, more of the transfer, the transfer variety news to, to talk next and then close out with some listener questions. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Mika, we, there's no other way to start off a, a transfer discussion, obviously, with, with the El Paso, the El Paso connection um, and, and so much else tied to this, uh, the, you know, U S men's national team and, and the, the, the size of this move, Ricardo Pepe is off to Augsburg. Uh, $20 million is the transfer fee. Um, There was tons of rumors about where Pepe might head, where, where he was trying to go. It seemed like Wolfsburg was the most likely destination for a long, long time. And it seems like ultimately FC Dallas kind of hesitating at the transfer fee up to the point where Augsburg came up with money that basically they couldn't, they couldn't turn down um, ends up being the difference. And uh, so Ricardo Pepe headed, headed to Bavaria um, and, uh, and to a team in, you know, just outside of the relegation playoff place. Um, I think they're one point clear at the moment. Um, not the most well-known team in terms of like branding in the U S and all of those things. Um, but we had the question from, from, uh, our, our, our friend Fernie at cool Fernie on, on Twitter. Um, I mean, first asking like, what if Augsburg are relegated? And then secondarily, like, do you think this is a good move? So I guess we can start with the second part. Like, is this a good move to, to Augsburg for Ricardo Pepe? I think so. I think so. I mean, obviously there are sexier places he could have gone. 
for sure. Um, and, and like you said, Augsburg is not like in the collective consciousness of most American soccer fans, you would argue. Um, but I think he will start at Augsburg and I think that's really crucial is, is now for him to get playing time at this level. Um, they are one of the lower scoring sides in the Bundesliga. Um, and, and the Bundesliga has been kind to young Americans historically. So, um, you know, as far as their development and, and, kind of in getting ingrained into the culture. A lot of people speak English in Germany, so um, that'll be nice. Um, like you said, the club is, is in, in Bavaria, so not, not too far from Munich if he wants, you know, to you know visit a world-class city on the weekends or maybe even live <laughs> there and commute to Augsburg. Who knows? But, um, yeah, I think I think it is a good side. I mean, the their high score is like Florian Niederlechno with like three goals or something. So yeah. um, they, they need that help and Augsburg this is a huge deal for them as well as a club this is their record signing yeah uh, 18 million euros or, or 20 million dollars as you said and so I think that they definitely have big plans for him as well and and that's really what I wanted to see is somewhere where Pepe can really be a crucial cog in the in the team yeah um so yeah overall I do think it is a good move now yeah, what if they get relegated? I think that's fair enough to ask, but relegation didn't stop the likes of, you know, Weston McKinney and Josh Sargent even uh, moving on um, after being relegated uh, in the Bundesliga. So um, I think that if that comes to pass, I'm sure Pepe something in his in his contract where, you know, either there's a, a relegation clause that allows him out of the contract or allows him to move or, or reduces his salary or what have you. I mean, I, I couldn't see him playing in in the in the Zweite Bundesliga, but um yeah, you know, it's it's a challenge and I and I rate that he is taking on this challenge. Yeah. Um because it it will be in his remit to help the club stay up. Augsburg have been in the Bundesliga since two thousand eleven, I think. Um, you know, historically a second and third division team. Yeah. Um, but you know, they have established themselves in the top flight and they certainly are not going to give that up without a fight. So um, I I like the fact that Ricardo rates himself to come into a situation like this and, and try to lead them uh, back up the Bundesliga table. So, yeah, overall, I think it is a good move. Yeah, I, I love the idea of someone who, you know, he's, when he's been challenged to make that step up at whatever level it's been, whether it was, you know, he started in... FC Dallas's Academy as a, you know, as a, as a young teenager makes the move to North Texas SC like, and, and plays a season in league one in USL league one top scorer in the division, like, uh, you know, absolutely takes the league by storm, gets moved to FC Dallas's senior team and, you know, has a really good goal scoring record. Uh, he finishes, he finished this season, which was, I think was his first full season really getting minutes with FC Dallas and, um, 18 goals in, in 31 MLS appearances. So, you know, one and two, uh, a little bit better than, than a goal every two games. Um, and his exploits with the national team are, are well-documented. He, you know, he gets his, like when he finally started getting minutes in the world cup qualifiers, when Burhalter was kind of up against the wall and needed goals. Um, and, and he, you know, he, he grabs those really, really important goals. Um, particularly the ones on the road in, in Honduras, uh, like really come to mind. So anyways, like the, um, 
he stepped up to each of these challenges and the fact that he, as you said, like backs himself and believes in himself to step up to this challenge too, and be the guy for a team that is fighting against relegation. I think that sort of approach and that sort of mentality is something that the U S I want to see more of that, like from American players, um, especially ones who are, who are, you know, showing out for the national team. You want them to be in pressurized situations when they're not playing for the national team. And, you know, this is not a chance for me to like drag MLS or anything like that, but you want, people who are competing for their places and week in and week out, like they need to be just giving their all in training. They need to be scoring goals. They need to be like the pressure is going to be on him to be the, the focal point for this Augsburg side. And I, I love that because I think if he is, you know, the player that we, that we all believe he can be, um, and if he's going to grow into that, then this type of pressure is needed, I think, to to push him um, to that next level. And let's be real, like the the end goal is certainly not for 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 Ricardo, like the his goal. He's already said, like, he wants to play for Real Madrid, like the the, the kids <laughs> ambitions yeah. do not stop at, you know, at Augsburg, I think the reality of the situation is Augsburg have invested $20 million with the expectation that in a few years, maybe even a year um, that transforms into like a significant for him to move to a really, really big club either in Germany. I mean, as you said, he's in Bavaria and he's, he's about 40 minutes from the Allianz. Um, so <laughs> if, you yeah. know, if he really shows up in the Bundesliga, it would not be, it would not be, uh, outside of their, um, outside of Bayern's, uh, approach to, you know, grab a, a proven Bundesliga talent. Um, they've, they've been known to do that, you know, two or five times, a transfer window. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I think I think ultimately this is just we're used to our high profile like U.S. men's national team players getting opportunities either in like European academies as kids and they work their way up through the big clubs like, you know, Pulisic or Gio Reyna at Dortmund. Like those are the kind of the examples that come to mind. And. Pepe is like forging, like he has to forge his own, his own path. And the reality is like the, the earlier that he starts being tested like this, the better off he's going to be, I, in my opinion. And, and I think a lot of people are conflating this too in, in us, like us men's national team, Twitter. There's a lot of people who are kind of conflating this with other prospects who have moved to Bundesliga clubs in like their reserve teams and things like that. And they said like, Oh, they went to X team and they, we never heard from them again. This is not that like I want like, it's yeah. not 
a kid moving to a European club and saying like, Oh, I'm giving it a shot and seeing if I can work my way to the first team. Like he's being signed as their striker. Like he is going to play as their striker. Um, like from the time that he's available, at least through the end of the season, you know, like he's going to be the guy, um, as long as he can play. So, um, it will be like up to him to, to provide the goals for them and, and make a difference for them. And I, I just, I just think that's amazing because it's very rare that we've seen like American players get handed the keys to a club, um, in such a way. And ultimately like he is going to be, you know, if he seizes the moment, like he could be like, you know, we could have 30,000 Bavarians in, in the WWK, like singing the name of, (laughs) of Ricardo Pepe. So, um, and I just love that that's, you know, it's not necessarily like the easy route. He's not at a glamorous club necessarily, but he's at a good club with good resources and good facilities and, and a, you know, passionate fan base. And, um, yeah. And so I just love that, that he'll have a chance to, to prove himself that way. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm just excited to see how it goes because I think, I think everyone's expecting big things. And I think the one, the one, you know, little caveat that you attach to everything is just remember that he is a, you know, his goal return is like a goal every two games and not, he's, he's not necessarily been, you know, a crazy high, like scoring striker. So yeah, literally 18. (laughs) So, you know, if he gets like six or seven goals in the second half of the season, like that's an amazing, that's an awesome, like start. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. He, he doesn't need to light the world on fire. Right. One more thing I'll say, well, two more things I'll say on Pepe quick. Uh, the other thing that I think is, is really going to stand him in good stead in the Bundesliga is that he is a presser. Yeah. Um, he loves to tackle. He loves to work hard defensively. And I think that that will, you know, lend itself very well to, to German football and European football in general. Cause that's the way that, you know, the game is gone is, is everyone has to work hard off the ball and he's certainly capable of doing that. But just for me personally, I'm happy about this because I'm not going to lie. My interest in the Bundesliga has waned a little bit because there's just been a lack of narrative this season. Um, and Borussia Mönchengladbach are abject. Like I still follow them and keep up with them, but it's just <laughs> been so bad. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to, to have a reason to watch games, not involving a team that I like, uh, in the Bundesliga. And yeah, I'm just, I can't believe I'm like looking for the Augsburg matches. And I had people, you know, tweeting me today, like, Hey, how do I watch the Bundesliga? <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> like it's uh, yeah. ESPN plus by the way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it'll be really cool to see uh, the El Paso boy um, over there in Europe. Yeah, grow up so fast. <laughs> yeah, things moved. <laughs> things moved extremely quickly. Um, there, we also, you know, we do need to to keep in mind um, that there's going to be a little bit of. So Augsburg's next next match is is at Hoffenheim um, this coming Saturday. 
we could see Ricardo as early as, as then I'd imagine he will be on the bench for this one. I, I doubt he'll get tossed straight in based on the fact that the MLS season, obviously with FC Dallas, not being a playoff team, um, Right. He has not played in in quite a while, <laughs> like in, in in a competitive match, um, because I think the playoffs started in like November. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he hasn't played since like October. I don't think. Um, so get it? Yeah, I'm sure he stayed fit in the meantime, and and but you know, playing shape and and fitness are two different things. So um, I would venture to say that the earliest I would expect him to start would be the Eintracht Frankfurt match the the mm. following Sunday um, at home for Augsburg. But, um, but I think there's a, there's potential that he, that he comes in off the bench against, against Hoffenheim this weekend. Yeah. And we will just have to see Hoffenheim's a, a decent shout. Cause they're, I think Hoffenheim are like upper mid table too. So that's, that's yeah, they're fifth right challenge. now. Yeah, so Jesus. Yeah, yeah. They're actually level on points with Leverkusen in fourth. So the Hoffenheim are in with a shout of of a Champions League spot. Um, Another team that everyone hates. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, well, not the only North American uh, transfer news that we have to to speak on because. Uh, <laughs> Toronto FC uh, of all teams went out and splashed the cash um, in negotiating a a transfer for Lorenzo Insigne from Napoli. Um, Insigne basically synonymous with the club, um, being a, a a native to to Naples and and uh, having played for the team. You know his brother. <laughs> his brother plays for Benevento. So, you know, they, they're, they're synonymous with that, that region and the whole family. Yeah. Is from there. And, uh, reportedly he's been, he's signed and, and agreed to a five and a half year contract, which will start, um, in June. So he will finish this season with Napoli. He, his contract ends in the summer and, um, he is, will be on an 11 million euro, a year contract, which is reportedly between triple and quadruple what he was offered at Napoli. Yeah. There are rumors that uh, Aurelio Di Ralentis did not want to pay Insigne what he felt that he was worth. Um, You know, reasonable minds can differ on whether that was the right thing to do. He, like you said, he is, synonymous with Napoli and is a legend of that club. I, I hate to see it end this way. I wish he would have like retired there, um, you know, like a Francesco Totti, uh, but you know, it wasn't to be, and I don't blame him for, for wanting something new. Uh, if, especially if he felt that he wasn't being valued properly, then Hey, when, when a club comes in and, and they really push the boat out for you like that, I can totally see why he said yes. Um, you know, on top of that insane salary, I was reading that they're providing him a house, a car, and an English teacher. Wow. So Toronto FC are really, you know, rolling out the red carpet for for my man's here. Um, <laughs> and and I can see why he would pick Toronto too. I mean, they've got a pretty vibrant Italian community. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and we know Jovinko 
feasted at Toronto as well. And and with all due respect, I think Insigne is ten times the player he is and is nowhere near finished. Yeah. Let's let's make that clear right now too. He's not I don't think he's going there to, to retire. I still think he has so much to offer. Yeah. Um and and um yeah, I think I think if he could stay fit and, and adapt well, he'll tear this league to shreds. Yeah. Um so I'm really interested to see how that goes, but it is a little bit sad to see him leave Napoli. From the from the club side, um it it's one of those moves where um uh our the show's good friend uh Mike Pendleton um at Fat Deuce Seven on or Fat Seven Deuce. I can never remember on Twitter. Um <laughs> love you, Mike. Uh he he kind of brought like the some of the nuance to the conversation, which I know can be hard to do on social media, but talking about the fact that there are a lot of people on both sides saying that this is the player is taking a huge step down or whatever to go play in MLS, but the club it's like a huge coup and it shows that MLS is like a destination for, you know, current stars and all of those things. And Mike did a really good job of kind of landing in the middle is like, all right, he is by no means a finished player. This is not like a retirement league sort of move. Um, this is not, you know, this is not the, um, whatever Beckham, Stevie G like glamor move or whatever. At the same time, if, if an MLS team needs to pay a salary that is like reportedly like three plus times, what he would be offered, you know, anywhere else like market value, then that does underline kind of like, okay, well they'd still have to do something different to attract the players. It's not like he would, it's not like he was locked in a battle and would have gone to Toronto if they offered him the same contract he was offered at Napoli. Like this is not the sort of decision that is like Toronto was competing in terms of (laughs) the terms they could offer, um, not in terms of the prospect of him playing in MLS. Like, I don't think he would have been like overawed by, Oh my God, I get to join Toronto FC. Not no disrespect to Toronto. It's just like, he has this historic connection to Napoli. He's been there for, I mean, close to 20 years, I think. And, uh, he's been with the first team for, um, he made his first team debut in 2010. So he's, yeah, he's been, you know, playing for Napoli in a first team capacity for over a decade. Um, and like, so I think it's okay to like rein in some of the MLS is competing with for European stars thing. It's like you can compete materially, but if Napoli were offering like similar terms, he obviously never would have gone to Toronto. Like that's just, that's just the reality. And that's, and that's okay. Like if we're, but we just have to understand that like MLS is still going to pay over the odds for this sort of thing. Like he's not an $11 million a year player in Europe. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I mean, who's to say that he didn't turn down other much more attractive offers from other clubs in Europe. Right. Um. I mean, maybe he's really trying to show respect to Napoli and not wear the shirt of another team in Italy. Yeah. Um, because I, and I, and I wouldn't put that past him. I think he really does take the Napoli, you know, badge very seriously and doesn't yeah. want to play for anybody else. 
um, and wouldn't feel that that's right. But you know, we can't we can't get away from the fact that that is huge money, and and MLS does have to pay, um, overpay arguably, yeah, uh, for for that kind of talent to come through. And hey, it you know it's a it's a job, and he's gonna come and and do it here in the states. And and again, I think he'll be excellent. Yeah. No, and that's why I don't think there's any question to the quality of of player that they're getting. I think some around Toronto are probably asking like there's probably some investment needed elsewhere in the squad to get back to the levels that they right. were that they were at and is this like prudent to spend that amount of money if like the rest of the team needs needs some reinvestment? I mean Michael Bradley is still in midfield, so uh, it, there's there's work Jeez. to be done. Um but uh Toronto FC, not the only, not the only team that's able to come up with cash um, because the seemingly bankrupt Barcelona (laughs) pull off a 55 million Euro signing of Ferran Torres from Manchester city. Um, Word on the street is Goldman Sachs uh, financed this deal. And, you know, I don't know that there's been a, perfect analogy for you know real world finance issues to like sports um but if there were an analogy for the 2008 like subprime housing crisis <laughs> this Ferran Torres transfer sure feels like it <laughs> mortgage backed footballers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the easy part and and if you really want to like delve into the nuts and bolts, Sid Lowe has a great piece on ESPN. Yeah. On um how the hell Barca can afford this. He's also been speaking about it on on like the Guardian on Football Weekly podcast and things like that. Um Sid's awesome. But yeah, I mean buying him was the easy part. It's going to be registering him now because Barcelona's salary cap is so like effed. Yeah, <laughs> they can't register him, um, you know, per La Liga rules. So they still have to have players leave or, mm-hmm. you know, get more salary off the books. Um, and, you know, they've been trying to get a lot of players like Philippe Coutinho and guys like that to, to leave for years now. And it's not happening. Samuel Mtiti and, and the like. So um, I think it's, you know. Just in sporting terms, I think it's a great signing. I think Ferran Torres is one of the best Spanish players in his uh, like age bracket. Um, and Barcelona do have a need there in the attack and to, to rebuild the attack. He always wanted to go back to Spain. Um, that was always in his career trajectory. And, and I, to be fair to City, I don't think that they are necessarily going to like miss him all that much. I mean, they're just so deep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just in footballing terms, I totally understand the move. Um, but it remains to be seen if he will be registered, um, soon. He says that he's calm about the situation that he knows that it's going to happen, but, um, the club have to, to get him registered under the salary cap rules. I don't see La Liga necessarily bending the rules for them. Um, no. And uh, so, yeah, that's just the, the tricky part about it. But, yeah, it just looks silly when you just on the face of it. If you don't if you know all the things that Barcelona have been through recently, I mean, they had to let their the greatest ever player go for free because of their 
their financial situation. Now they're splashing 55 million in January for yep. a striker. Like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the face of it, but yeah. Um, Golden Sachs injecting the club with money and also funding their stadium redevelopment too. So yeah, um, I think it's total investment from Goldman Sachs is somewhere in the realm of like between three and a half and $4 billion. Um, madness. Yeah. um yeah definitely like as as mika said definitely go read sidlow's article um if you're like if you need any information about it it is it is like sid is a an absolute like fountain of knowledge when it comes to spanish football um and he also unleashed just an absolutely just absolutely (laughs) meme worthy just cracker of a tweet earlier um <laughs> you're just gonna have to go to his twitter to find yeah, out yeah, what it is see it. i don't think it's been deleted yet um. <laughs> um but yeah definitely definitely read that and the reality of the situation is that basically like they're going to need to they're renewing a bunch of players salaries in different structures of payments so that they can free up space in each year's budget to be able to register the players under the salary cap. So for example, Sergio Aguero being forced to retire allowed them to register Danny Alves. Right. Like this is the type of in and outs that are going to happen at Barca, like Sergio Roberto and Usman Dembele's renewals are key to uh, to Ferran Torres being able to be registered because they're restructuring their salaries, like when they do these renewals. So it is a lot of accounting and a total numbers game to to abide by the La Liga rules. But yeah, in the meantime, Ferran Torres will technically be, you know, whatever, like a unregistered. <laughs> Well, apparently he's got COVID right now, so now oh. there's like an enforced break for him, <laughs> I guess. Um, Laporta's I like, guess thank if you're God, get it now. I've yeah. got some time. I've got some time. <laughs> We're gonna need you to quarantine just a little longer, sir. Yeah. Like, what? Let's just call it a month. Let's just <laughs> while we get this figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the last little piece of piece of business you you uh, touched on involving La Liga is is Kieran Trippier seems like he's headed to uh, to the Geordie Shore. Yeah, Kieran Trippier to Newcastle United for I think it was twelve million euros. I saw. Yeah. Um, I think this is a significant blow for Atlético de Madrid because he is their starting right back, and it is the middle of the season and what's been a testing season for the defending champions. Um, he's been brilliant for them ever since he joined from, from Spurs. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wonder what kind of money is being thrown at him to go to Newcastle, a team that is again, like, like we talked about at the top show, going to be fighting relegation. Um, but you know, maybe he just wants to come home and that's fair enough for, you know, come home to England at least. Um, but yeah, Atleti, I, I don't know what the plan is for them. I mean, the only other right back I think that they have is Rosalico, who is always injured and is definitely a downgrade ability wise, in my opinion. Um, but yeah. for Newcastle, I think they're getting a really good player, uh, a player that knows the league is proven, uh, is a champion, you know, just came off of winning, a, a 
uh, a league with with Atleti and and they need that kind of championship quality in that dressing room if they want to be serious and and really start to build this Newcastle team into something that can you know climb up the table and win things but obviously survival is what's key right now um if they don't want to just like go down and completely completely rebuild but um yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do go down what happens with him. I'm as- assuming there's going to be a relegation clause if they're if they're savvy because, you know, the wage that he's on is probably going to be pretty significant, but um it's a good it's a good signing for Newcastle and a blow for Atleti. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's worth it's worth noting um like Kieran is originally from Greater Manchester. So Newcastle, okay. obviously, you know, the, the East coast, uh, of Northern, Northern, but, um, it's gotta be an attraction to be, to be that close to that close to home. Um, and, uh, and certainly to be kind of the first in, um, in the new, this new era of Newcastle, I'm sure has some, has some draw as well. And as you said, the money is probably, kind of insane for a 31 year old right back. (laughs) Um, and I don't, I wasn't able to see exactly what his contract situation is with Atleti, but the 12 million fee, I think would underline that he doesn't have much time left on his deal and they feel pressure to, to recoup Mm -hmm. something. Um, if he, you know, if he indicated that like, well, I'm just not going to renew, um, then, then they probably felt a little bit under the gun to get something, but um, yeah, I'll have a slight chuckle to myself about Dominic Solanke's 19 million pound transfer fee uh, in the face of that. But although he's like tearing, he is lighting up, up the championship. The championship. Yeah, <laughs> no, he, he is. I think it's actually, it's, I think the season in the championship is actually kind of just what he needed to rekindle some confidence, but a different conversation for a different day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so onto, onto some listener questions. And we had, we had Mika first, we had one from, from our, our, uh, seriously loco, uh, co-host, uh, Christian Canales at fly 13 zero nine one. Um, he just asked which surprise, uh, is most likely to stay in a European spot. Um, West Ham, Freiburg, or Rio Vallecano? This is a really good question. Great question. Cracker of a question. Um, we know Christian's good at, at formulating the questions. As, for anyone who listens to our, our uh, Seriously Loco podcast, which is about a USL championship club, El Paso Locomotive, uh, Christian's questions often kick off our, our podcast. And so it's no... He's no stranger to a great question and he's come up, come up with a good one here. Yeah. Um, which surprise. So I have gone and this is probably going to be like so wrong. Cause we know from the top of the show that my predictions are shocking, but <laughs> I've gone with Freiburg. Um, and the reason why is because they know how to get results on the road. And I think that's really crucial to, um, a a surprise package kind of staying in and around that that European challenging spot area. Yeah. Um, Rayo Vallecano, on the other hand, are awful away from Vallecas. Yeah. Um, and West Ham are good on the road, but they are overperforming their XG and their expected points by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, 
And and so I think Freiburg just had just enough statistical balance for me to feel comfortable that they might actually stick around. And and the Bundesliga is just like random in that um, teams that we think should be doing better with them have the potential to to drop shockers. And I'm looking at you, Bayer Leverkusen. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Freiburg can maybe can maybe do that. Um, and West Ham are beginning to fall away. And and Rayo, I, I don't know that they they necessarily have that. Although, I mean, who knows? If if I had to pick someone other than Freiburg, it would have been Raya with West Ham probably falling away. Yeah. I so at the risk of at the risk of being boring, I I have to agree. Um and I think the number the numbers ultimately kind of speak for themselves. And the and the fact of the matter is that Freiburg have one of the best defensive records in the Bundesliga. I think only yeah, only they have the same goals allowed as Bayern, and the, oh, those damn. are the two lowest totals in the division. Um, ultimately, for a team like Freiburg is never going to be like a scoring powerhouse, um, and they're going to play a lot of their games where they're trying to hit on the counter, stay stay compact, and they do an incredible job of that. And Christian Strike has has that team like executing that to like the highest level. Um, and with that defensive record, I think it underlines like the capability to see it out over the course of a full season. Yeah. Rio have a decent def- defensive record, but not, not elite, um, in La Liga and their goal scoring is like extremely suspect. Um, <laughs> they only have 26 goals and 20 allowed. So like, I don't think staying in European places is sustainable. If you're like only beating your, you know, if your goal difference is like that low single digits, like it just implies that you could drop a few games where you're not getting points because you know, you've, you've given up some goals or you've, you've not been able to get the goal scoring going. And all it takes is like a couple, you know, a couple of games of no goals and, you're falling down the La Liga table because the the fact of the matter is this remains extremely tight. Like uh, the Bundesliga yeah. does too in in those spots, but um, but yeah, I mean Rio three points separate them in tenth. Um, so yeah, like, I think all the way down to Espanol is like arguably that's <laughs> three. Yeah, like that's three <laughs> points. So that's one game. Um yeah. and and six points, you know, puts them down like close to the twelfth and stuff. So, so it it's just balanced on a knife edge. I think similarly for West Ham, they're surrounded by a bunch of teams that are in like a good way right now, and they're sort of not. Um right. and as you said, like them outperforming their expected goals and expected goals allowed is not great. And then on top of that, their defensive record is like among the worst, like one of the worst in the, in the top half of the premier league table. So like their inability to kind of see things out and they've had a lot of defensive injuries and, and all those things. So I think, um, yeah, I think West Ham, unfortunately, especially with what, with, with Spurs sitting two game, like sitting right behind them with two games in hand, like, conceivably by February we could see West Ham like closer to like mid table, like closer to closer to like eighth, right. eight or ninth 
um, just based on the games played because they've actually played 20 games, whereas the teams below them in the table have like basically all have games in hand. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I think Freiburg are in the strongest position of those surprise packages. And it's mainly down to the fact that they just are extremely difficult to beat. Um, and, uh, and the, the other two West Ham and, and Viacano, unfortunately are, are not quite the same difficult prospect. I don't think. I will say all three of these teams though, are not like, a joke like I and I really no. rate all three of the managers in in Christian Steig, Andoni Rella, and and David Moyes so yeah I mean just just a credit to all three of them for yeah. for where their teams are yeah absolutely and I think like the fact that we're even having the conversation about them being in European places is is impressive like in its own right and if yeah. Freiburg if Freiburg are in the Champions League next season that will be just like the most unbelievable accomplishment Holy shit. um yeah <laughs> yeah so um, I hope that we see one of these teams, at least one of these teams in Europe again. And I mean, at, at the rate West Ham's going in the Europa League, like we may just see them back and we may see them in the Champions League because they won the Europa League. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And all three of these teams have very passionate support. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be really cool. No, I love that. Love that question. And. Um, the last, the last question we got is from, uh, Renee in El Paso. He, he came with an MLS question and this is a little bit adjacent to our, to to our other interests in the USL championship. But, um, he asked your thoughts on LAFC hiring unproven, um, Chirondolo from within their own system. Should that hire give USL managers like El Paso locomotive, former manager and current Indy 11 manager, Mark Lowry hope or not since it was an internal move. So, I mean, first of all, what did you make of, of this hire by LAFC? And then secondarily to that, does this indicate that USL managers are more or less likely to, to land MLS head, head coaching jobs? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't say that I'm intimately familiar with like Torondolo and his tactics and and how he is as as a manager. I mean, Renee says it as much in the question that he is unproven, and, and that that seems about right given what I could find on him. Um, I think that this is a little bit different because it was internal, and I don't know that necessarily the, that this is a, any kind of like hiring blueprint, if you will, for USL managers. I think what we found and Phil, you're, you're very astute in, in pointing this out is really, it looks like if you're not going to be an internal signing, you need to have like assistant manager experience in MLS to, to get the starting job or yeah. be a known quantity in Europe, whether that's good or bad. Um, so I don't know that, that the likes of Mark Lowry can really look at this and say like, well, why not me, you know? Um, and, and, um, I think Chirundolo also has like name recognition because of his playing career. So that, that certainly, um, doesn't hurt. Um, but yeah, I, I, this seems more like a a one offer or something that you really can't like take too much from and apply to, to the likes of Mark Lowry and other very talented managers who, who, um, you know, will have to take a different path if they want to become MLS managers. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things, obviously, like 
at play here. I think the fact that, you know, Steve Trondolo is a former U.S. international, played in the Bundesliga for a long time. I He played at Hanover, I think. I think that's For, like, right. a long time. Could have... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. It was and handled. and coach coached there a little bit as well. In, yeah. In the youth youth system. Yeah. So he's got like coaching experience in Europe. I'm sure he probably landed some badges while he was over there too. Um, if I had to guess, he comes he comes back being a former you know U.S. international. He's already got sort of an inside track on on potential opportunities. Um, and once he got hired, I think he did sometime as an assistant in at LA and then went to lights and then went to, you know, and, and it was kind of like this planned sort of succession, um, for, for Chirundolo to, to eventually be LAFC's manager. I don't think they expected it to happen as quickly as it did. Um, and I think, you know, LAFC's also kind of come crashing back down to earth this year because they didn't make the playoffs in MLS after being kind of like, you know, from the time of their founding, they were up amongst, you know, some of the higher performing teams in, in MLS and they had Carlos Vela and they had, uh, uh, Giuseppe Rossi and like they had, you know, they had like kind of these marquee names, um, and they were performing well. And now the reality, I think the reality is they've, they've had to kind of pull the trigger on the succession quicker than they thought. Trundolo was managing what was essentially, you know, lights or lights were LAFC's reserve team in USL. And I mean, the record reflects that he, they lost 23 games last season. So, I mean, they like, (laughs) they were, they were horrible. Um, But yeah, I think it's a, I think it's actually more of an indicator, Mika, to what you spoke about, which is um, MLS teams are not, they're not taking like punts on, on managers from like external systems, unless they're, yeah, unknown quantity in Europe, as you said, I think, you know, the, the easiest example to point to aside from, you know, Chirondolo is, is Ezra Hendrickson's hire at, at the Chicago fire. he, you know, has been an MLS assistant for a long time and he actually managed an MLS two side in USL, um, when Seattle Sounders two was, you know, before they became Tacoma defiance. Um, and on his staff was, was John Hutchinson, who is now the, the manager of El Paso locomotive. So I think all of these, all of these, um, these sorts of guys, like when organizations are out looking for that next person, they want as much assurance that the person can succeed at the level that they're at. And I think at the moment MLS is, you know, limiting that somewhat to people who have either had experience working in an MLS staff or at the very highest level of, of, of coaching elsewhere. Um, And I think even then, I think MLS teams are shying away from European managers even more so now because of some of the the issues that have plagued um, teams that have tried to to go out and get kind of these these big names or bigger names. Um, so I think the I think the assistant route is probably what we're going to see for a while, and I think 
with this MLS reserve league popping up too, I think you'll likely see a lot of this sort of uh, apprenticeship or, or whatever you want to call it. Like um, where MLS assistants are, you know, they get the head coaching gig at the, at the reserve side kind of as the, the, the prequel to, um, to getting the full gig. So it's um, yeah, it seems like that's the pipeline. And I don't, I, I think, unfortunately, Renee, I think it actually gives like USL managers of independent teams um, less uh, a hope of landing an MLS head head job without getting some sort of assistant um, experience at the MLS level before. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, and that could all change. Who knows? Um, one of the, you know, one of the best ma- managers in MLS is Gio Savarese, who he made his name coaching in NASL and didn't have any MLS experience. And now he had, he's won an MLS cup with Portland Timbers and was, you know, penalty kicks away from winning a second. So, um, Fact. so yeah, there's, you know, there's no, there's no tried and true equation, but it does seem like MLS front offices are are going the route of of promoting assistance rather than rather than looking uh, you know uh, more openly at at independent coaches or coaches at the USL level. So yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic and one that we kind of got thrust into just based on the based on some of the conversations we <laughs> we had you know around a, a coaching change at the usl level so yeah it's a it, it is an interesting interesting topic and and thanks renee for the for the question um mika i mean are we uh did we leave anything out or are we missing anything i'm sure something crazy will happen tomorrow morning uh, oh that's yeah it happens no hide your <laughs> hide your managers because they're, they're gonna fire somebody uh like sacking season like always goes into full swing the day after we record so <laughs> yeah i'm just here for the uh augsburg like really cranking up the social media game now because they've yes. got a bunch of new fans so um yeah and I might have to cop the the Freddy Krueger shirt. Like <laughs> I might have to do it. We'll see. I, uh, I may have, I may have, you may have already done I it. I may have pulled the trigger. <laughs> 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 I couldn't resist. I could not resist. I don't blame you, man. I like it a lot. It's yeah. unique. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's it for now. Glad to, glad to be back. Hopefully we'll be, yeah. uh, talking more i know afcon's coming up maybe we'll do something on that or yeah. you know see what see what else happens so yeah the i'm glad you mentioned afcon because i do I, I tweeted earlier today that i do want to like really lean into it and follow it like closely i think most often i've i have you know just being a a fan of an english team i've seen it as this kind of like mid-season distraction when things are in full swing but i think i'm i'm trying to take advantage of the fact that you know, Liverpool one are, are sending two very prominent players, um, to the tournament, (laughs) but also, you know, I think the, I've realized like how AFCON has been really disrespected in that way, like over, you know, for a long time. And, um, and I think giving it its due as a, as a serious international tournament that, I mean, these players, 
same as, you know, any, any player in Europe or, or North America, like they want to, to play for their country and they want to, to show up on an international stage. So I'm excited to see, to see this tournament play out. And, um, for those who are curious, I know Harry had asked, uh, me earlier today, like, well, you know, what's it even going to be on all of the games are on BN sport. So, um, for anyone with, be in on your cable or if you don't have cable be in is on i mean the cheapest option that i've found and maybe mika you have a, a different way of of viewing be in but uh is uh what fanatis or fanatis yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is yeah, However, that's definitely the cheapest option for yeah sure. um so yeah f-a-n-a-t-i-z um and that's i don't know it's like seven bucks a month or something like that i think um and uh you'll be able to watch all the games um on that through bn so that's the that's the best route that i've found for legally watching the games i mean if you want to go another route you can risk whatever you know viruses or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and i don't i don't disrespect it because we've all we've all been there um the uh and for those for those who are longer term listeners of the podcast you may notice we are we are swerving sounds of the season um tonight just for time's sake but um you can still find our sounds of the season playlist on spotify and we'll be back with more um with more tunes um in in coming episodes but um yeah, just search sounds of the season on Spotify. You can find our, our tunes and we've got a bunch, you know, there's a bunch of music that has come out, uh, and now, you know, retrospectively looking back on 21 and new music coming out in 22, very excited about potential additions. But, um, but yeah, uh, aside from that, um, as I said at the top of the show, thank you guys for, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode and, and, uh, you can follow us, on Twitter at HXC football, um, or you can, uh, and you can subscribe to the podcast, like review, whatever, um, on, on any major podcast platform. Um, and, uh, yeah, we really appreciate all the support. It's good to be back and yeah, we'll catch you guys hopefully soon.